0: So I'm super excited to talk to Megan Rose this morning. Megan, you uh, you just mostly sit around doing nothing. Does that describe you pretty well? <laughs> yeah, not busy at all. <laughs> so you started your own nonprofit in Florida. Is that right? Called um, Better Together? Correct. And can you tell us a little bit about your nonprofit?
1: Yeah, so Better Together is all about prevention. We want to keep families together. Um, we want to keep children out of foster care. Um, and a big way we do that is empowering parents to help themselves. And we know that um, financial um, employment is a really big piece of that. Um, jobs keep families together. So we have two program, we have a better families program that helps provide short term care for families um, and their children while they're going through a crisis. Um, and then we have our better jobs program, which is nationally in 21 different states um, where we work with churches to do job fairs. Um, and those job fairs help those who have had a lot of challenges um re-enter the workforce, get connected to employers and reminded of their dignity and build up their confidence and
0: help them find employment. So you say that you work through ch- churches. Do you take any government funding for your program?
1: No, we're one hundred percent privately funded. Wow. Um, And we work all with just civil society. Um, We see government as a referral source, not a revenue source. And that's been able to build a real-
0: What do you mean by that?
1: So we get a lot of referrals from the government. Uh Um, We're not seeking money from them like a majority of other nonprofits. um, But we see them as having access to families that need employment, to families that are on the verge of losing their children to foster care. And so we've been able to build a really collaborative partnership where they introduce us to families that could benefit from the level of support that we can give them um, as a way of keeping government out of these families' lives by being able to be proactive on a community level.
0: They send people to you. So how is your program different than foster care? You do place children, at-risk children, with families that are not their own, right?
1: Yes. So
0: we have, um, volunteers
1: that are carefully vetted their background checked. Um, they're not paid. Um, they're in the community. They just have really generous hearts to help. Um, and they will actually welcome kids into their home short-term. The average day is 41 days. Wow. Um, and they give parents an opportunity to get back on their feet and resolve whatever crisis they're in. So, a lot of families, when they are in crisis, let's say they lost your job you're, they're about to lose their home, maybe they had a medical emergency, we have people we can call. Okay. But a majority of families in the community, they don't have anyone they can call when times are tough. And so we give them a safe option.
0: So while um, their children are in temporary placement, you help the parents get back on their feet as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah, so we have a really great professional team, and they work with the parents to make sure if they need help with their budget, if they need help finding employment, if they need help getting into treatment, um, whatever they need to be able to put the pieces of their precious life back together and build a stronger foundation for them and their children, we help them
0: do that. And then Um, in in foster care, what's the difference? Kids go in there and the parents don't get necessarily the help they need or what happens? I hear about, it breaks my heart to hear about children who just stay in the foster care system and sometimes even age out of it for big chunks of their life. And that can't be good for the children.
1: Yeah. My first job was actually as a child welfare case manager. Um, I went into the foster care system wanting to save children, but quickly realized that their parents weren't bad parents.
0: Sure.
1: Um, They just had they didn't have a lot of safe options and they, you know, small problems became really large problems and they made poor decisions that resulted in their kids entering and, you know, this government system. So one of the biggest differences is by the time that kids are entering foster care, it means that they have been physically abused or neglected. Um, so it's past the point of intervention um, mm-hmm. and these kids need to be a part of the state, but there's devastating outcomes for children sure. there's fewer families willing to take in these kids you have foster families that get in it for money not the right reasons mm-hmm. um, you're dealing with children who have trauma so behaviors so they'll go in multiple placements um, and it's just a really uphill battle for these parents to be able to regain custody mm-hmm. um, they have very long um, case plans and they have case managers that are overwhelmed and stressed and don't have a lot of time because a lot of these families, they don't need a case plan. They need people. Right. We right. need people in the corner. They need a support system. So better together is really a proactive approach. Um, it's helping people help themselves before it gets to the point that a child's been abused or neglected. And so, for example, the way we work with the state is, on average, every month they get around twenty-three thousand calls to the Florida Abuse wow. Hotline.
0: Wow.
1: And that's a lot of calls. Um, mm-hmm. And most of the time they'll go out and they'll do their investigation, but it doesn't warrant um, enough for them to remove the children. Mm-hmm. And most of the time they don't want to remove the children. Yeah. And so we've become a really good tool in their toolkit. So instead of sheltering the children um, or crossing their fingers and hoping nothing bad's going to happen once they close their case, they'll introduce the families to us and then we'll start working with them. And because of that, we've been able to keep over 3,000 kids out of foster care. And 98% of those families do not enter the foster care system.
0: Have you found it hard to get volunteers for your program? Surprisingly,
1: no. Um, When we first started, I actually had somebody who worked in government who told me I would never find volunteers (laughs) that would care for children without being paid. (laughs) And we have had just... Amazing um, distraction in the community. You know, foster care kind of has a stigma attached to it. It's a little scary. You hear, you know, the worst of foster care. Um, You hear, you know, you kind of don't know what that looks like. It's this long, you know, intrusive process. So we get a lot of families that they like working with us because we're not connected to the government. It's a very short process to get approved. And the time that you have these kids in your home is really short-term, mm-hmm. and so it's a really nice way for them to get their feet wet. Um, you know, they start caring for these kids. They meet the parents. They realize the parents really aren't monsters. Mm, sure, they're, sure. They're just parents. They're just having have... a hard time. Yeah, and a lot of them just don't know what they don't know. It's mm. generational. You know, they're mimicking what they learn from their parents. That's right. Which might not be healthy. So. It's giving them role models, is giving them examples, um, and mean. it's giving them healthy community that, you know, most of the time lasts far, yeah. you know, past our involvement with the families.
0: That's awesome. So if I can, like, bring this back <clears throat> a little bit, you know, generally, uh, the Show Me Institute is a free market think tank. And what that means is that um, we believe the private sector does a better job of solving problems than the public sector. and. Lots of times the public sector kind of gets in the way, in fact, and and I also think that in addition, once um, the public sector, I mean government, does get involved in trying to solve a problem, then oftentimes the private sector will kind of stop working on that problem because it seems like, well, you know, the government has stepped in, they're taking over, Um, there's a jobs program funded through the government, or there's a housing program through the government, or there's the foster care system through the government, and it actually like discourages private sector solutions, um, particularly ones that don't rely on government funding. And then, you know, you end up with less than ideal solutions to these problems that I think could be very well addressed through private sector solutions. And um, I did a podcast recently with A man from Joplin, Missouri, who has an organization called Living Waters, and they do not take any government funding, and they actually certify other nonprofits that don't take government funding. It's through a church. And, um, uh, sorry, and it's unfortunate to me that we discourage that through an ever-growing government and bigger government funding of programs. And the one that really jumps to mind right now that it's kind of being talked about is The fact that during the COVID shutdown, when so many people either lost their jobs or were at risk of losing their jobs or were furloughed, government stepped in and supplemented their unemployment insurance. And for a number of reasons, it was a flat amount of $300 per week, which many people, as I'm sure you know, ended up getting more money out of their unemployment check than they got in their job. And so it, in fact, discouraged people from working and now we have a situation that i my sister and i were just talking about this on the phone you go every coffee shop every you know everyone is looking to hire people every restaurant and they don't have they aren't able to hire because people have been lulled into wanting to work less because they're getting a check from the government how does that interact with your jobs program do you see that in your jobs program yeah so I think it's a good example. So when
1: the pandemic hit and the height of the lockdowns, um, even in Florida, we had a short period where we were locked down. Yeah. Um, you, you know, government was fighting. They were trying to figure out, you know, how they're going to help people. Um, and I think you saw the best in civil society groups stepping up and helping their neighbors um, yeah. in times of need. And it was a really beautiful thing. And things were getting done um, very quickly. And we do job fairs. So how do you do a job fair in the middle of a pandemic? You have to get creative. So we put together a job fair at the end of April. Um, It was Florida's first virtual job fair. And it ended up serving over 700 people who had jobs in different industries that had been shut down. And people were eager to get back to work and we were helping them do that. And so when the government started providing all of these um, you know the unemployment bonus. Um, they started incentivizing there was jobs available during the pandemic um, in a lot of the areas we work with, but they started incentivizing people not looking for jobs or rebounding. Um, and it was kind of an economically sound decision for a lot of families. I sure. mean, why look for work when you are getting paid more to stay home? Absolutely. And so as a society, we kind of forgotten the benefits of work beyond a paycheck. And, you know, it gives purpose and opportunity to better yourselves, you know, learn soft skills. Um, you're providing an example to your children when you get up in the morning. It yeah. helps, you know, combat mental health addiction. And so we um, we started doing virtual job fairs all across the country. And as for, continued- for virtual
0: jobs or just the... We were doing virtual job fairs we
1: had, throughout the entire pandemic, we had an abundance of employers that were still looking to fill positions. Wow. Um, and this was all within, you know, 2020 and we moved into, we're doing virtual. So we were creating an atmosphere where anyone could, you know, find work and get connected to employment from Mm -hmm. the comfort of their home. And we just saw a steady decline. Of people no longer, I mean, and just think the beginning of April, we had close to a thousand people attending and looking for employment. Yep. And we saw the unemployment numbers continuing to grow up, go up, but then we saw our job attendance numbers continuing to go down. So we opened up our job fairs back in person um, as states allowed. We did our first in person in South Bend, Indiana in December, and we had very little turnout. Right. And that is continuing to be the case. We had multiple job fairs across the country in April, um, you know, over a dozen. And we only had less than 200 people show up. In some job fairs, we had zero people show up.
0: Yeah, we had one here in one of our bigger restaurant districts called the Central West End, and it was targeted for restaurants and bars. I think they had single digits, like, or maybe 10 people showed up for hundreds of jobs. That's incredible.
1: The employers are hiring really great. I mean, a lot of them are doing sign on bonuses. They're doing, you know, great starting pay. Um, And it's really scary, especially we're seeing on just up close and personal through our Better Families program, the impact that this is having on families who are not working. What is it? I'll give an example. We have a mom who we met with her um, over a year ago before the pandemic. She was really struggling and about to lose her kids to foster care. She was homeless and we helped her get a job. We helped her get into treatment. We helped her just rebuild her life. And she moved mountains for her children in a really short amount of time. Well, then the pandemic hits, she loses her job. She starts collecting unemployment and flash forward a year from now, just recently we had a job fair and we were just begging her We're like, you got to come to the job fair. Um, she has just mentally, her mental health has declined. Mm. Um, she has really struggled. She's starting to drink. Mm. Um, she has DCF now back in her life. Um, and she's on the verge of losing her children. And we are just pleading with her, like, please, you have to get back to work. You have to like, don't lose everything that you've worked so hard to do and the impact on her has been devastating and we've seen this with so many families I mean they're not they don't have a reason they're getting up in the morning
0: sure it literally creates dependence and not independence right which is what we want to everybody wants independence in their lives and the ability to make choices and I know again that podcast I did with the um James Whitford in Joplin, Missouri, he said when the stimulus checks came out, so the way his organization works is if you want to come get a meal, you have to work for a certain period of time. Say 30 minutes, you get a meal ticket. Or if you want to shop in the food bank, you have to work. And they have very, uh, they have coffee roasting and different places where you work within his organization to earn, basically, so it's not charity, you're earning it and you feel better about getting it and you can shop for Christmas toys and that type of thing. But he said... When the first round of stimulus stimulus checks came, people he saw regularly just didn't show up. They didn't have any need to do this anymore, and they walked away from it. So it literally creates dependence on government, where what we want is for everybody to live full, independent lives and pursue their own happiness. And it's like that woman is so sad, but it's like literally thwarting that in people.
1: Yeah. I'm familiar with James. We do a lot of um, oh, those okay. same practices, which I um, I love it. Yeah. And it, cause it really works and it really helps, you know, free people and, you know, everybody has something that they can offer. Of course. Um, when we start believing that they don't, that's when you remove their dignity. And that's what we're seeing is we're seeing dependency. We're seeing the breakdown of families. Mm-hmm. We're seeing, you know, a decline in mental health. We're seeing people start drinking, struggle with addiction. Um mm-hmm. we're seeing crisis lines ring off the hook
0: so it- the the extra three hundred dollars has ended in Missouri, and I know it's ended in a lot of places. so there's that's not going to be happening anymore. But what do you think is the right, you know from a policy perspective, what would be helpful for you an organization like yours in terms of uh, the government um getting out of the way or like what would be the best policy that would help the folks that who you serve?
1: Um, Well, one is definitely the unemployment bonus ending that. Um, But I think a big part of this is just the narrative that's going on right now. I think it's a very dangerous narrative that we're seeing come from the left side of, you know, decentivizing work. Like if you can't find that perfect job, if you can't you know, find a job that's paying a certain extent, you know, it's better not to work. Yeah. Um, You know, there's value in even the most unglamorous jobs. You know, we're seeing this younger generation, Gen Z um, and millennials. I mean, they're not willing to go back to the office. They're not willing to, you know, find a job at a young age. And that's going to create a really big gap in the labor force. And when you start young. You're learning a lot of these really good soft skills. You're bettering yourself. You're learning a lot. And so creating more policies that incentivize work um, and less dependency um, is always going to be, you know, healthy for families. Uh, But also I think this narrative that we're seeing is really just toxic and it's really hurting um, the families that they say they're trying to help.
0: Yeah, I saw it in the Wall Street Journal this week, an article that said people aren't going back to work, they're quitting, or people aren't going back to the office, they're quitting, right? So I think with everyone being able to work remotely this last year and uh, work from anywhere, that has created an expectation that you should be able to design a job that is perfect for you. And I think there's going to be a rude awakening in the near future when that ends. And you're missing
1: work community.
0: Mm Mm-hmm
1: you know, having a work family, having, you know, just somebody who those relationships, and it's really hard to develop those relationships in a remote setting. Like people are not built to live in isolation. They're built to be in community. And we see through our better families program, what happens when families don't have community, when they Mm. don't have people, you know, that's where you see these families fall apart. Children get hurt um, you know, families being torn apart. So work provides that community, that accountability. Um, and it is really disheartening to see that just a survey, you know, 51% of Gen Z and millennials would rather quit their jobs than go back to work. Really? And that's a scary statistic.
0: Yeah. Because
1: again, it just shows you there's this work isn't valuable. Um, And that, I think, is the thing that we're kind of seeing that we really need to have to combat again is work is actually very valuable um, and it really does keep families together and keeps families out of poverty. Yeah. And
0: I mean, the unemployment rates are pretty low right now. Even in Missouri, they're in the like four and a half percent range. They're very low. Um, And they before the shutdown, they were very, very low, historically low. But I think that a lot of people don't realize that the unemployment rate is the percentage of people who are um, don't have a job but are looking. And so they are considered to be in the labor force because while they don't have a job, they are actively seeking a job. But what has happened really over the last probably two decades is people have left the labor force. So they're not counted in that number because not only do they not have a job, they're not looking for a job. And in some groups of people, and particularly black males, labor force participation is down in like the 60 percent range in the 60s like 65 percent which is historically low which just means these people have dropped out of ever seeking a job and how do we get those people back in it you know I think I'm pretty old so I don't know if it's so much my generation but my parents for sure the idea of a man in his 20s or 30s or prime earning years not working and not looking for a job was was insane i mean my grandfather like you did whatever job you had to do and the idea that you're not even looking for a job um, is is really hard for me to fathom and if those numbers continue to go up then i think we have a serious problem
1: yeah no i agree i think pre-pandemic it was like 10 million able-bodied um, workers without dependents without children yeah were not working and it's just a hard number to wrap your mind around. And with our job fair, we, we do realize that if you've been, we've had some families that we've worked with where they've been rejected because of algorithms. If you hit certain check checkboxes, um, we had one guy who had been rejected 252 times. So he hmm. simply just gave up. Sure. He started to believe that he didn't have anything valuable to offer. And so we've tried to create an atmosphere that reminds people that they do have something they can offer, it's a safe place where they can come, you know, we can rebuild their confidence, we can introduce them to employers, working with employers to focus more on their future instead of their past. Um, because again, like there's so much value with work. I mean, for those who are leaving the prison system, if they don't find a job, they're more inclined to reenter. Um, And it's the same with, you know, losing children to foster care, child abuse, divorce. Um, And it is very scary because it was a problem before the pandemic. And I think it's going to be very telling how many people are we able to get back to work. And we got to do it quickly because the longer we wait and the longer um, we incentivize not working, the harder it's going to be to reintegrate people back into the workforce because just think once you start developing habits oh yeah when you stop um it's very hard to get back into a structure so the longer we wait and the you know there's it's frustrating because we see the urgency but we feel like our politicians don't sense that urgency and the Mm -hmm. importance of getting people back to work but we see the
0: impact every day so in this past year and a half did you see i'm think I might know the answer to this, but did you see an uptick in uh, calls to the um, hotline for child endangerment? So it's interesting,
1: our better jobs um, program, we were seeing less need, less people coming to our job fairs, Um, but then we were seeing an increase of 155% Mm -hmm. with our better families program. Mm -hmm. So we were seeing more families who had lost their jobs not willing to go back to work but on the verge of losing their children to foster care Mm. so that to me was just very telling um the importance of just you know getting people back to work and the impact that these bad policies were having on families
0: well i can imagine yeah too like when everybody had to when the schools closed and everybody had to be home i was worried a lot about young children whose parents did work outside the home and them being left home alone because there was no safe place for them to go. But also just the general stress on families. I mean, my children are grown, but so I can't compare my level of stress. But being stuck in my house for, you know, extended periods of time was a stressful situation. So I can only imagine if there is uh, family stress and economic stress piled on top of that, that you're going to have a serious uptick in mental health issues. And those get taken out lots of time on children. I mean, you know, much more than I do, but I can only assume that children bear the brunt of that a lot of times.
1: Yeah, you just created this really um, just a recipe for just disaster. I mean, for the poor parents that are stressed or overwhelmed, and a lot of them don't have coping skills to begin with. And you're getting a lot of this negative, stressful, you know, narrative from the media, disinformation, you're getting, you know, you don't know, you know, everything's constantly moving. And these poor kids too, they're not getting, you know, they're at home, they're not getting structure. Yeah. Um, it just created this perfect storm for families. Um, even in Florida, where we reopened our states pretty quickly and got kids back to school, there's still thousands of kids missing. Oh, no yeah. one has made eyes on these kids.
0: I talk about it all the time. Like, where are these kids? I mean, I know some high school teachers even uh, that can't get a hold of their kids. They don't know where they are. They've disappeared, you know.
1: It really is terrifying. And uh, what's unfortunate is I feel like we're just scratching the surface. You know, by the time we figure out the impact that the pandemic had by locking these states down and isolating these families and these children, it's going to be too late. I agree. And we really you know, hurt, especially this youngest generation.
0: Um, I've and- heard the pandemic of 1918, the generation who were children during that pandemic uh, never caught up. It impacted them financially, uh, in, in their careers, uh, professionally, their entire lives. Like they, There was a big gap that they were never able to recover from, and I absolutely see the potential for that in this, this situation.
1: And it's the disadvantage, you know, it's the of families course. that were already living in poverty. It's the families that were already struggling, the single moms. Mm-hmm. You know, it's those families that were already behind that are going to suffer even more.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I'm a mom. I have three kids under the age of five. And wow. a support system, you know, mm-hmm. we both were married. We both had really good jobs and we were able to support each other. And it was really hard working from home with our children. Um, and I just remember feeling the stress of that, but then, you know, we were just talking about how, imagine if you, you know, you didn't have these things, like we had a job, we have an education, we have a support system, you know, we have each other and imagine not having those things, you know, how you would feel, no wonder these parents are drinking, no wonder you're seeing an incline in mental health, no wonder these children are missing. Sure. Like it's just devastating, you know, the impact it's had. And then it's devastating that we're not doing everything in our power to help get families back to work.
0: So that's helping. my question. Uh, are you expanding to more states or are I assume that your organization is doing such a great job that you would like to grow it?
1: Yeah, so we are um, focusing our Better Families program, which is the child abuse, just prevention program, um, growing it across the entire state of Florida. And um, we've grown into four new regions um, since 2020. Um, and then our better jobs program we've had an increase of churches willing to step up and help get people connected to employment opportunities and so we've been training churches and working with churches all across the country um 26 different states and so we have churches and we have volunteers that are ready to help people. We have employers that are ready to hire. We just need policies that promote
0: work instead of disincentivize it. Do you ever see or do you ever run into situations where the government's working against you? Um, Not yet, except these, you
1: know, bad unemployment, federal (laughs) unemployment (laughs) bonus So from a federal level. um, You know, that's been tough to see. But on a local level, uh, the government has been um, a really great partner. Um, which has been really encouraging, especially in the state of Florida. We've seen, you know, DeSantis has done a really great job empowering, sure. you know, the local level to really care um, and help families and then just getting people back to work, opening up our schools. Um, but we haven't, you know, right now it's just, it's really ending that employment yeah. bonus, yeah. really from, I think, even a leadership level, just telling people it's get, time
0: to get back to work. Get back in the labor pool. Um well, I certainly applaud you. I, I was obviously kidding when I started. You've got three children under the age of five. You're running your own nonprofit. You're trying to do such good things in the world and change the world in such a positive way that it is really impressive. And I appreciate you also then taking time out to talk to me. It's great to learn about. We love to celebrate um, nonprofits uh, in the private sector space that are just making a go and making a difference without government help. And uh, I just really loved a lot hearing about yours. Oh, well, thank you so much. It was so great to just sit down and talk with you. That's great. Thank you, Megan. I appreciate it.